Breaking. 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 The imposter. The imposter. Imposter. Breaking. The imposter. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Breaking the Imposter podcast. Today, I have with me Shashank. Shashank, he is an entrepreneur of sorts, and he's starting to build his own little network with a company he started called Drona. And he also works as an account manager right now. I'd like to introduce you guys again to Shashank and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do. Sure, yeah. Uh, So as Jermaine mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur of sorts, which is, I think, a very appropriate description. I am an account manager. I work at a company which sells enterprise software to manufacturers. And Jonah sort of started out as a as a pet project. So before I started being an account manager, which was a year ago, I used to teach. And I used to teach engineers at Boeing and uh, Chrysler and some of these manufacturing companies how to design things. I didn't teach them how to design their stuff. I taught them how to use the software. And as I was teaching them, you know, CAD software, PLM software, as I was teaching them, I started to observe that there's behaviors that happen in a class that most educational solutions miss. So, you know, content is one part of the equation where good presentations, good PowerPoints, good content, good lectures is a great way to kind of capture the student. And, you know, great personality, adding that into the content is great as well. But then there's a student portion of what happens when you learn something. And I found that every little educational institute that was doing this, they were trying to control the supplier aspect of education to such a good degree. And so students have so much variety of good content. But on the student end, there isn't any variety. And what happens on the student end from a student's perspective is, you know, you take new information pretty much at light speed now. And you have to digest it somehow. And the problem is that while the content has changed, the medium through which students think hasn't. And so Drona became a way for me to observe that. And I started keeping a daily tab of, you know, what behaviors I saw. So, you know, students would say, okay, I'm going to copy her notes, which is typically how you usually work, where one girl or guy would take a note and, you know, everybody else would say, okay, I'm relying on their notes. And I began to see that there is a little, you know, Pareto distribution of how many people contribute to taking notes and how many people benefit from them. And then I observed that, let me give some background. I hate taking notes. I'm an engineer by trade, by education, and through five years of engineering school, I did not take a single note because I didn't just see the value in taking down every bit of information. So I had to kind of reconcile those two things. And with Jonah, we were able to do just that. So Jonah started out as a way to you know, deliver good content, but then it became about taking whatever content people find, not just in one place, but everywhere throughout the internet, you know, podcasts, books, blogs, lectures in person or web-based, and put it into one place which you know, mimics the way a student thinks. And that's kind of what led to Jonah being born, which was about a year ago, which we started planning, and now we're about six months away from launching the first uh, version of the product. Yeah, so it's a way of organizing the chaos of note-taking to a certain degree by seeing how other people are taking their notes compared to how you would and any gaps within your knowledge you're filling it in because somebody read it a different way that you did and you don't you weren't privy to that information beforehand type thing 
That's true. Yeah, that's that sounds pretty much it. And note taking is just one aspect of it. The reason we picked note taking as the medium to thinking is because until you're able to write down, like I think it was Einstein who said, until you're able to explain what you know to a child, you don't know it yet. So until you're able to articulate what you've learned, you haven't fully heard it yet. So note taking was a good way to kind of get people to focus in and align everything that they've learned into one cohesive statement. And that is by design that you can't take everything down. Right? You can only type at a certain speed and only take things in and construct them at a certain speed, which is by design. So as to discourage people from just taking down and regurgitating everything the professor put on the board onto, you know, your app or whatever. Right. And why did you come up, how did you come up with the name Drona as from a branding perspective? How does that work into your mission statement and your values? Okay. So this one's got a bit of a backstory. So bear with me. So me, I was raised a Hindu. So I'm familiar with all these scriptures and stories. I'm not a religious person, but I was raised on these fables and stories. So Drona is a character. It's a teacher who belongs in the story called the Mahabharata, which like, a lot of people know the Bhagavad Gita, which is considered a Hindu religious text. But the Bhagavad Gita is just you know, one small portion of a larger story called the Mahabharata, which means the great epic of India. And in that story is about this one royal family, and they basically get split up into the Pandavas and the Kauravas. And the story kind of tells a story between good and evil. And Drona is the teacher of all these princes, the Pandava princes and the Kaurava princes. So that was one aspect of, in my own way, I wanted to reconstruct or capture that memory. But the interesting part is, while Drona is teaching all these princes and, you know, royal kids, there's this little tribal little kid called Eklavya. It's a very, very famous story. So Eklavya is a tribal kid, so he can't really learn with these royal kids. You know, classic story of privilege way back when. So he goes to the teacher. He's like, okay, can I learn with you guys? And Jonah says, you can't. So what Eklavya does is he observes, simply observes the teacher in hiding, secretly, doesn't have to pay tuition and things like that. And, and He's just observing, and he constructs like a statue of Drona, creates an image of his teacher in the image of that teacher, who's considered the best teacher in the world. So taking that story away, I felt on my own, because I never had one teacher. I've had multiple teachers, but I kind of personified it all into one singular place that, that I went to learn. You know, I, for instance, I learned squash and tennis online from many people, but I kind of you know, take all the knowledge and personify it into the tennis player that I love the most, Roger Federer. So similarly, I'm taking, or I'm allowing people and myself to take knowledge that they're getting everywhere else, place it and personify it with this one character, and basically build their own teacher. And that's Jonah, which, which is kind of, not just whether we came up with the name, but which is why we got into this business to begin with, is that so many of us, we, like, we pay tuition, so many of us are not so fortunate to do that. And I don't feel that education is something that, that should be limited based on if you can afford it or not. So part of the mission of starting Jonah was to enable learning because it is social learning. You're not just learning what you know, you're seeing what everybody else knows. So it's social learning. So to enable learning beyond, you know, beyond the borders, but, but what is it? borders, barriers, budgets, and beliefs. Because these are the four Bs that really block out new knowledge and, frankly, new perspectives. So our goal was to break that down. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's like from for what I remember hearing before is if you don't have those other viewpoints coming in, then you can't really make an opinion of your own. You're just going to end up be following one other person's opinion. And that's the only thing that you could live off of. And was there ever a point where you realize when you're finding yourself thinking too much like one person where you're kind of not having your own opinion? And that's why like where Drona would have helped link it all together by having those varying perspectives? Oh, definitely so, yeah. Um, I think many times what will happen is I tend to identify with my heroes quite a bit. And sometimes you tend to inherit their flaws. And sometimes it'll come down to where I will say, you know, this way of thinking is the only way. And this is more so in the past, not as much now, but in the past when I was younger, definitely, yeah, like it could be even just simply, simply be something like a strategy of play or, you know, a belief in life or something as simple as getting super solid. If I identified one way, it was very hard for me to see the other side because I was not exposed to it at that massive scale. And this is like back when I was in high school where perspective is cheap. It doesn't really come your way. So as I grew older, I went to university and I think that was one of the other precursors to this is that I saw that my classroom experiences were, were great, but where I really matured into my own was, you know, just being out in the quad or hanging out with my friends and kind of being exposed in that way where you really are freely roaming around and you're really unencumbered by anything. There's no law, so to speak. You're walking around with your friends, your flaws are openly exposed, your friends are going to call you out on it. And it was that time, and it took a fair, fair amount of time. It was a good five to seven years for me to truly appreciate the different perspectives that I got. And it was never like an epiphany. It was always like, a, it was like, you know, forging steel. It took a lot of hammering before, you know, I turned out right. Yeah. And that's something I always find very ridiculous. I find myself just being like, boom, change now. But the process of constantly tempering yourself and then banging out the kinks that you that you don't want to have something be in your regular daily life is something that we we all could benefit from uh, in terms of going into a direction where we realize like hey sometimes you gotta heat that steel again and banging out it's not gonna just take one person one moment where you get molten you get banged out and then that's it you have to constantly constantly be thinking of different ways of how to reshape yourself and how to keep yourself where you want to be instead of having all these varying perspectives affecting you. And I know for a fact that happens to me. And when, and as, and like, I'm just thinking in terms of Drona is trying to take away that teacher is the giver of is, is the truth. What your teacher says in class is the truth. My, my karate teacher always mentions like things like the teacher is never the giver of the truth. The teacher is only the guide. So Having a bunch of different guides to help you find your truth is where I see value in Drona and that way of thinking where you're just constantly getting different opinions and you're allowing them in, but you're not letting them dictate that this is how you have to act now. Yeah, that definitely is a... And the funny thing is, sometimes you don't think about an overt benefit or an overt perspective, which that's not a perspective that I even had you know, conceived, but the fact that you can take that away and the fact that now it's available to me to kind of learn from that is the thesis and that's the kind of you know i, I guess i would say that the purpose of drona would be satisfied when something like that happens mm -hmm. okay awesome and 
moving a little away from what you do, how about yourself? How do you see yourself now after the change versus the five, seven years before that? How do you how do you represent yourself? I think the easiest way to say that is I'm curious and I'm competitive. I've always been competitive, always been curious, but this goes back to the talk we had about martial arts where you start out as a kid and then you, you know, go through years of hammering and mastery and you know, drilling down to learn the technique, so to speak. And then at the other end, you, you come back, you're back at the kid again, where you have the curiosity. You're not just a machine executing movements. You have the curiosity of a child, but you have the maturity of, of an expert practitioner and the humility of an expert practitioner where you're able to kind of correct yourself. That you don't need that kind of heavy, heavy tempering anymore. And I think that's who I, that's how I see myself every day because I, I find myself correcting myself less and less often. And that's mainly because I find that whatever I'm doing, it seems to be aligned with what I want to do. Part of that is because I've been through a lot of hammering in the past. But there are times where I'll say, you know what, you got to change this one little thing. And it's never a... Uh, it never comes down to a complete breakdown before I have that epiphany, so to speak, anymore. So, so that's, I guess, who I've become after you know, years of trials and tribulations. I've just become somebody who's just as curious as a kid, but I guess just as competitive as a kid as well, but with a level of maturity that I am somebody that I once have looked up to. And that's kind of what I always wanted to be. That I remember I emailed my boss about a year ago saying that, you know, thank you for the opportunity to go out and teach and allow me to do whatever I ended up doing. It's because I have finally become the man that I once dreamt I was going to be, once wanted to be like. And I think that's where I've become. I've become the person that I wanted to be. So from now on, it's just, you know, minor corrections and making sure that never gets to my head. Right. And the next question is kind of twofold. Well, so you have a better understanding of yourself. Uh-huh. Do you believe that others see you the same, that you view yourself? Or is there a conflict there that you have to kind of come back to recognizing of how you determine you view yourself? Like, where, how do you deal with other people's opinions of who your brand is or who you believe yourself to be? That's funny. I would say most people would describe me as a troublemaker. Somebody, because I've always been described as somebody who's against the grain. And if right is normal, then I am up and to the left. Right. So I've never been somebody who's, you know, done what most people in the room are doing. And I think it's because of maybe my personality and perhaps my way of, like, I can take a joke. If somebody makes fun of me, I can take a joke. So anybody who's around me, they don't necessarily see the intensity that I have inside. I don't, that doesn't come out. All they see is like a fun-loving, you know, one of my friends described me, you're like a fireplace where you're inside burning hot, but to the people around you, you're not burning. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, that kind of stuck with me for a while. I really like that description. So I use that once in a while, but that's pretty much how I feel. I think others just see me as somebody who's pleasant to be around. I am a little moody from time to time, but try to keep that um, curtailed as much as I can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I think people are happy to be around. I, I, you know, like in my workplace, for instance, people will often come to me for, you know, like they're going through something or they need help with something. They just need to vent. 
right. they'll naturally turn to to me, and that feels good. Feels good that you can be the kind of person who people look up to. And I guess in that sense, there is no conflict because despite like me being a little mischievous and a bit of a troublemaker, a bit of a prankster from time to time, despite being all of that, people still see me as how I see myself is that somebody worth taking seriously. And I think that's how I, yeah, I think that's how people see me is that I can be fun loving, but they can take me seriously when it's time. That's pretty awesome. And it ties into a bit of your curiosity and competitive nature too, where that's just you trying to look at different ways of interacting with the world around you. It doesn't seem like you're just being a jerk where everybody's just like, oh my gosh, this guy just just doesn't know chill. It's just like, they know it's coming from a place from honest curiosity and honest trying to do better. Yeah, and that's, that's the hope, right? Like you are going to come across people who don't get you, right? And I definitely do as well. For instance, especially people who have like this, you know, aversion to having their flaws pointed out. Some people like me, for instance, you can point out my flaws and I'll laugh about it. Yeah. Some people, even if you point out, like, not even their flaws, but they'll say something stupid, and I'll find a humorous way to kind of let them know, like, you know, go to the absurd or just point, point it out in some humorous way. I don't have something on mind, but point it out, and they will take offense. Yeah. And <laughs> and I've had those scenarios where, you know, somebody just turns sour for the rest of the evening or they've turned hostile where, like, my friend Tarun is one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. Like him and I, we talk about some of our common friends who, who just won't be able to take when I point out that what they're talking is complete bullshit. And they, they get, you know, very defensive. And Tarun laughs about it. He's like, I love it when you point out people's nonsense because they can't take it. And he, he loves the humor that it causes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're going to come across some people who just don't get you. And I, it used to really bother me when I was in first year. It used to really get me that how can people not like me? Like, I'm a fun-loving guy. Back then, though, I was a jerk. Like, I, I don't think anybody... Like, I, if I met... If I met my 17-year-old self 10 years ago, I would yeah. whack that guy yeah. without thinking twice. Just using your powers for evil at that point. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. Like, if you had to put in place a figurine or a bubblehead for a megalomaniac, it would be me. <laughs> so, luckily, I've, I've grown out of that. Yeah, I know, I know that feeling too, where when you get more comfortable with yourself, you kind of, you could kind of see when people are being a little less honest about mm-hmm. who they are and who they want to be. So then if you, you want to be like, Hey, how do I kind of nudge them in a direction without being like, Hey, yo, you suck. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> but then it, it's, it's so hard to like, it's like walking on eggshells sometimes. Cause sometimes you can just say one thing and you're just like, ah, oh, I I almost had it, but yep. eh, yeah. La vie. yeah, and the one thing that's actually happened is I think as I've grown old, like for me, friendships and relationships are very, I would say the most important thing. I think I treasure, my friend actually asked me, one of my other closest friends, like we have a group of like five or six friends or like the pyramid, you know, like the Freemasons, we're, we're that tight. Mm-hmm. And like he asked me, like, what do I treasure most in life? And it was my friendships and my relationships. And as I grew older, I realized that because I was able to be more upfront and more honest and more openly honest about who I was and who and what my what my feelings were, my relationships improved. And 
because I was able to tell people to their face, honestly, instead of trying to, you know, manipulate the situation, or as you said, I was walking on eggshells, crying not to offend. I think more people just started respecting that. And like in the past, I think people could tell when I was bullshitting. Yeah. And most people can, you know, when we're younger, you don't think people can smell you from a mile away, but they can. Yeah. And uh, I found that in back in the day, I would say 10, 12 years ago, no, eight to 10 years ago, I fabricated a lot of relationships because of, you know, posturing. You're 17, 18. You want to struck your stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And me being five feet four, I really had to, you know, battle that to make myself look bigger because you are like first year university and high school, you are basically in the jungle. There is no law. And yeah. that posturing helps. Mm-hmm. It kind of helps you to keep your own. So I think it, it had its time. But people could see that. People could see that he's just bullshitting or that he that he can't hold his own. And they would just yeah. like walk away from it. But now I think the same people respect the fact that I'm being honest. And people can tell. Mm-hmm. And I respect myself more because of that. Yeah. So if I don't see, like something, I tell people, like, man, I don't know if that's the right way to do it. Of course, there's a knack and technique to do it. But yeah. Like, like you said, you don't have to be an ass about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like thinking of, I'm thinking of like the general thing where people just walking around strutting like peacocks, trying to be like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm this, I'm that. And then like when they go home, they're like, oh my gosh, that was tiring because I was being somebody I'm yeah. not. And it's just, yeah. that that to me, that to me, I know that feeling. I know how to get there. And you, from your explanation, seems very similar. It's It's super tiring. So you can't end up doing anything else in your life because you have to maintain this image that it's not natural and uh-huh. you're constantly working towards. But again, as you said, that's only with tempering over time where you get yep. to that comfort level, especially if you don't know, if you had no idea how to do it before, or it wasn't part of your natural day to day to do. Cause that took uh-huh. me like, that took me a couple of years, like at least like four years, five years to get back to Jermaine. <laughs> yeah. And it's not just that it's tiring. It's, it's funny. While we do all this posturing to get over the same thing that the posturing ends up causing, yeah. which is insecurity. Yeah. So that posturing, it's tiring mainly because it's so in, it makes you so insecure is that, oh, I don't know if that person sees me the way I want them to see me. And then one person can come in and shatter your world entirely by flipping, as Jordan Peterson calls it, the dominance hierarchy, mm. where... You're on there in a bar trying to talk up a girl. You think you're doing your best. And then somebody comes in, just is himself. And boom, your world just goes upside down because you are not being yourself. And mm-hmm. like it's, it's a very popular cliche advice to be yourself. But I, I think the university students is best told not to be themselves because they're all a little annoying little rats. But we were there too. We were I know, I know. I know. I was it too. I was one of those rats. But I guess the advice I would give is don't be yourself. Be your best self. Yeah. You know, be the self that you're proud of. Be the person you want to look up to. Yeah. 100%. Um, moving on there, where the person you want to look up to, where was a point where in your life where you felt your identity was like you had a, a bit of an identity crisis where you thought you needed to change? And it got to that boiling point, for example. <laughs> I got a story for this. Um, this is back in Seattle. So I would, the whole time I was teaching, I was in Seattle. I was traveling around the United States, mostly, you know, South Carolina, Missouri, 
in Long Beach, California, but mostly in Seattle. And what used to happen, and being an extrovert, I never thought that I would face depression. And what used to happen was I would go in the day, I would teach my classes, and then there I had to be this kind of person who's like, you know, who's got authority, who's not authority, but I had to know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. So I had to be good. And I had to do the right thing. I, I could never bullshit. I, and that was a great, great advantage that I had that kind of job where I really couldn't afford to bullshit because I would get caught easily. Mm-hmm. Somebody could see on my face if I didn't know what I was talking about. And I had to own up to it. If I didn't know, I should have, I had to tell them that, you know what, let me look into it. I'll get back to you. So that was my day. But my evenings, because I didn't really know anybody in Seattle, so I used to just go out to bars. Because to me, that was an environment where I felt I could be myself, quote unquote. Yeah. So I started drinking, and, and it got to a point where my evenings almost divulged into an, into an alcohol problem, almost. And it was, that, it was one night when in Seattle, I just stumbled into my room. My room was a complete mess, and I remember sitting on the bed. And I, I didn't even have a bed until my landlady said, you know what, I have a free mattress. Until then, I was sleeping on the floor because I didn't want to spend too much money buying things. So I was spending it all partying. Yeah. So I was sitting on the mattress on the floor. My stuff is all scattered. My room is a complete dump. And I remember thinking, like, I was like the opposite of Batman, where in, in the morning I'm good, and by night I'm a complete mess. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there thinking, like, if, if this story was to be told, when you've got all these ambitions and want to do great things, you talk about, you know, wanting to be somebody you know, respectable. Back then I didn't care respect. Back then I want to be rich and successful and a billionaire and things like that. Very, very shallow goals. But even then, that kind of pulled me out. And I'm like, when, when they tell the story, is this what you want to be told? Is this your story? And if this is your story, you're never going to make it to the top. Mm-hmm. Growing up as a kid, my mom always told me, I don't even care if you become a criminal. Be the best. Mm-hmm. So the, the be the best mindset was you know, hammered in very early. And I think it was that night where I decided... I got to get my life back together. And this was when I was, what, 25? Yeah, I was 25. I'm 28 now, 29 in a month. And yeah, like it was that evening, that night, like one or two, where I decided, okay, things are about to change. It didn't change, like you said. The change wasn't, you know, boom, let's go. It took a good three years up until, I would say, up until I moved back to Toronto a few months ago, that change wasn't complete. Mm -hmm. So it took a while, and that's when the identity crisis was resolved because I had to ask myself the question, who are you really? Are mm-hmm. you the day you? Is that the you? Or the night you? Is that the you? And luckily, my the day me won because that was the real me. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we are. Thank God. Yeah. yeah, thank God. Thank God indeed. I'm glad to hear that you were able to find yourself over that course of time because it's tempting to give up and go back into your normal patterns and just stay there and be like, this is just who I am. So I applaud your courage to just be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is me. And it's like, this is bringing the self-awareness back. We're like, this is me trying to quell the fire in me, but it's not. And there's so much more that I want to do. There's so much more that I want to be. And if I don't give up this lifestyle, which I believe is giving me something better, I can't get to even greater. It's true, yeah. And you, you kind of need to have that conversation with yourself. Now, luckily, this happened over a course of three years, and I would say for 60% of it, I was on my own. Mm-hmm. 
And for the, the remaining 40% of it, one of my closest friends, Zane, he was also in Seattle with me. And uh, when he was there with me, I was going through, through a bit of an upturn in the transformation, but I was also going through another romantic hit and run, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so while I was dealing with that, Zane was there for a large part of it to help with that hit and run portion. But that personal transformation, it was, I think it was mostly on me. And, and it's almost like, you know, when you listen to Jordan Peterson's podcast, you can see that disheveled young kid male that he's speaking to, that he's trying to improve. Like that was me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hope, I kind of wish that, I have mixed feelings. I kind of wish that I've had access to that when I was you know, three years ago. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it's good that I did it because it kind of forced me to find out the answers on my own. Right. And you know, you know, people don't argue with their own conclusions. So when I came to the conclusions on my own, I kind of proved to myself that I can do it. I can handle anything. Like right. every year, you know, people start their year saying, this is my year. You know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I remember I started 2018 saying to myself, last year was a messed up year. This year is most definitely going to be even more messed up, but you can take it. And you, you are going to come out stronger. All right. And that's all, I can only say that to myself because I was kind of left on my own devices. Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't, I don't think I would have been the guy I am today. That makes a lot of sense. Because yeah. it, goes, it goes back to earlier points that were made where if you had had Jordan Peterson speaking to you at an earlier point, uh-huh. you could have never come to that realization to yourself because you would have been living his perspective only. Exactly. And exactly. you'd be so ingrained and focused on that perspective that Shashank doesn't have an opinion in it. He's just yeah. expected to coast and ride out through somebody else's vision of who he should be. <laughs> yeah. And, and in retrospect, like what you said is so true is that now that I have his perspective, it almost works as a feedback mechanism as opposed to a driving mechanism. And I think that drive, for those of us for whom that drive comes from within, Mm-hmm. I think it's truly a blessed thing to have that because then you have enough firepower in you to carry you forward. Mm-hmm. There are some people who need to be told and for whom that outside feedback that is for me is, is their driving force. The problem that becomes is that they don't fully internalize what the message is and they take the message as instructions. There's a big difference in taking you know, a philosophy or a perspective as instructions versus taking it as a perspective. Mm-hmm. I was able to take that as a perspective because I didn't need instructions because my perspective was different. Mm-hmm. And for those of them who don't, and trust me, and you know this as well as I do, is that these journeys, they're never a cakewalk. They, they go through some pretty <laughs> some pretty dark times. Man. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the yeah. darkest like, I remember times. Being, yeah, I remember being at my hotel room in, San, in, in Long Beach where I would teach for eight hours a day talk to my students, mm-hmm. and then be quiet for 16 hours mm-hmm. in my hotel room, drinking. And the next day, again, go teach for eight hours, and then boom, silence. And those silences, man, those are some dark, dark trips. Mm-hmm. There are times where I've scared myself. And that's the identity crisis, right? Like You start to see yourself as who you were, who you weren't, who you aren't, and your mind plays tricks. Like, I probably can't even articulate what trips I went on, but I knew that there were some pretty dark places. Right. And unless you go through that, like you are none the wiser. If you just get instructions, you're none the wiser. 
Yeah. <laughs> you need to go through that hell to to come out the hero. Right. And I know I know similar thing with me dealing with my periods of depression, not to take away from what you're saying. If I didn't take the time to wrestle with it to the degree that I did, without losing faith or hope that I could get through it, I don't think I don't think it would have been successful because somebody else says like, oh, just keep your chin up. It's just like, yeah. Go after yourself. You're like, yeah, you you just got to do a little bit more of this. You'd be like, oh, you don't know anything. But then when you're there and you're being aware and you're constantly like being like, why is this? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this? What do I do? What do I do? How did I get here? How did I get here? And you go through that on a daily basis. Then you become a little bit more comfortable with like, hey, okay, I could deal with this because now when people are giving me, as you said, perspectives, I could start... I can start sifting through the validity of them in concerns of the way my mind is working. Instead of being like, I just have to follow this path. You start following their path. And then you're like, this sucks. This doesn't work for me. Who, who am exactly. I? Like what? <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of like following somebody else's diet or workout. Cause you don't know why. And that kind of drills back to the why. So let me ask you this. When you were going through your periods, how did you, like, did you have somebody to help you through it? Or like, what was your experience? Like, how like, was you doing it by yourself? What was that like? I found myself reading a lot. Mm-hmm. I found I found myself just looking at books on personal development, listening to varying people's perspectives, and I wasn't really I wasn't really vocal and open about it to the people beside me because I didn't want instructions at that point i wanted perspectives because a lot of the problem was like i tried to go for people to just talk about it and just get a different perspective and they were trying to prescribe me something for my life that i wasn't ready for or i didn't want so it's just like "Mm, no bye so a lot of it was just listening to other people's perspectives where they couldn't apply it to my life for me and that's where that's where i think really helped me in terms of like having an unbiased opinion and I'm like reading this and it's not like, oh, I have all this backstory on you. So I'm going to tell you advice on your backstory and who you are and things like that. They're telling me and opening different ways of thinking for me that aren't judgmental or accusatory or anything like that. So that was what was really helping me through through all those periods. And sometimes they are judgmental or accusatory. And that is when you're, you know, your self-worth kind of kicks in and says, what? No, I disagree with that. Yeah. You know? I did have, I did have my brothers and my cousin Mark um, uh-huh. that I used to just talk about it every once in a while. But uh-huh. again, they weren't very like, hey, Jermaine, you know, you've been doing this this whole time. Figure it out. Blah, blah, blah. You're bad for doing this. You just need to change this. They were telling me different ways to think and how they view things in their life, which is, I find a much more effective strategy for me and a part of the reason why I wanted to um, make this podcast too is because people just, I think it's fair for when people are going through these moments is for them to have different perspectives that are not judgmental. A lot of people would say, and I, I don't know, just based on how you sound and how you talk to people and people come to you for advice, that non-judgmental tone is what a lot of people want and a lot of people need. But when people are giving advice and people are talking to them, they don't realize where they are. And I don't know if I'm making it sound that way right now where I'm being judgmental of the people giving judgment. We'll throw that in a bag later for me to, to, <laughs> for me to dissect. But a lot of the times it's just like, oh, no, you shouldn't do this. You know you're this type of person, so you shouldn't do this. Versus like, oh, 
oh snap like could we work through this together because i don't know i didn't know that this was a thing that you were thinking so let's work through that together along that pathway versus nah but you're like this so this makes sense <laughs> yep. if you get what i mean honestly I, yeah like i think a lot of it comes down to the people who do that kind of you know judgment or telling you the conclusion as opposed to helping you come to a conclusion you see that dichotomy in every role not just for people to get advice mm-hmm. like look at a salesperson a, a good salesperson is able to tell you what solution you need like what product you need to fit what's problem right? right or a good salesperson knows exactly what the solution is to your problem a great salesperson helps you arrive at that same conclusion on your own right right a, a good partner is somebody who tells you like you know what this is a problem for you this is how you can fix it a great partner listens to you and enables you to come empowers you to come up with a solution on your own because and they give you ownership of your own solution i think and this is something i've actually learned very recently like about a year ago i we had a new marketing person start with my company that's my my where i'm as an account manager and she was new she just graduated and I guess not my job description, but part of me, part of my duties were to kind of help her get ramped up with the product and kind of work with her on redesigning the website and mm. uh, some basic marketing things, the passive marketing things. And I found myself being very dictatorial. Mm. And she would do something and I would sit back and I would critique it. I'm like, no, you've got to fix this. This doesn't look right. This doesn't look bad. And she's, she's young. She's like 22. And I noticed once that one of these, like, it only happened once really that I told her, this is bad, this is bad. And when I saw in her eyes that something was wrong. So I followed her to her desk and I'm like, hey, look, you really don't have to take it personally. I'm just telling you what the right way of doing things is. And then her and I, we had a heart to heart conversation where she gave me feedback about how my quote unquote advice was coming off. And sometimes the people who are giving you advice or judgment they don't know that they are doing that or that they're coming off like that right so if if somebody is in a position where they are being given advice by somebody in a very dictatorial way that says don't do this do this or this is where you're going wrong this is what you should do right i, I would say tell the other person that that's how it's coming off and if they want to be effective leaders or givers of advice or managers they need to change that. This is one thing that she did that I really admire and appreciate is that she didn't tell me how to give advice. All she told me is, when you say it like this, this is what I feel. If you were just to consider the fact that, you know, I am new and this and that. And basically she changed my mindset. She didn't give me exact words mm-hmm. to say like, oh, you should give advice saying, oh, why don't you consider doing this this way? Right? Right. She just said, if you if you approach it from a point of giving perspective, and those are the words you use, hmm. giving perspective as opposed to an order, I wouldn't feel so bad about it. I wouldn't take it so personally. Right. And like it was humbling for me because, like you know, if you just look at it from office to office, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm the seasoned veteran. I've been here for years. I know the product line. I know the industry. And there's this kid who comes in and trying to talk up, and and maybe to some level on my core, maybe I did feel that way. But then that day when I saw that, you know, what I just did had an effect on her and I followed up on it and she told me, like, no, like, this is it, this is that. And I think since then, I think that marked the change or the point of change where I started changing the way I give advice. I started enabling, not just enabling, I started empowering them. I started asking them, 
how they would improve things. Right. If I had to give, like, you know, critique, I would give it as, take a look at this example of what I like. What do you think about it? Right. You think that could work here? So, like, and recently we had an interaction. We we're trying to come up with a strategy for next year, and the conversation was about thirty minutes long, where I kind of knew what we need to do for the right. upcoming year. Right. But I did not, in a single word, tell her. I kind of had a chat, just open, random conversation, bridged it into what we needed to talk about, and she came up with the ideas herself. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not like I was like leading her like a lawyer. I'm like, do you, do you think maybe we should do this? No, she came up with the idea, so she was pretty well aligned with what I what I was thinking that we needed to do. So I think this happened over a span of the eight months since that incident and. Sometimes it just comes down to tell the other person that your advice is coming off as instructional as opposed to a perspective, which could, honestly, if, the, if that advice giver is humble enough, that could change not only your life, but their life. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah, I think there's like a bunch of amazing perspectives I'm getting from you right now and different things like that. Because I was even just thinking about recent conversations I had with people at my workplace and just like... Mm. Ooh, have I been, have I been too instructional? Cause I know I, I usually like to go down people's logical way of thinking. And oh. if they find flaws in it, based on how I'm seeing what their things are saying, that's on them. All I'm going is from a confused state. That's very curious about what you're saying. And just trying to get to that place of we both come to an understanding of what your knowledge base is, where your knowledge base or where your line of thinking is leading you. Versus, mm-hmm. and then if I could see, and I throw something of mine and be like, okay, so I was thinking this way, if you don't have something there and just kind of building it together and like letting it kind of form one opinion or one direction based on both people's perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what like UX design does and is meant to do. That's true. Just put, yeah, yeah. put things together. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to a segment that I call the rapid fire segment. Sure. You can just have very quick responses for these. Just wanted to get a quick perspective of certain things um, that helped you within your life and helped you grow into the person that you were looking to be. First question is, what is one lie you had to stop telling yourself? One lie, that, that I was the underdog. That you were the underdog. Yeah, that people were underestimating me. People weren't, I was. Awesome. What is one attribute that you contribute to your success and growth? Adaptability. I can learn. Like I'm like Darwin's learner. I can adapt to pretty much any situation or requirement very, very quickly. And who is your biggest cheerleader throughout all of your moments of success? I would say my friends. My mom is our biggest coach, but my friends have been the biggest cheerleaders. And what's one hobby that you do outside of work that keeps you grounded in who you are? Photography. Photography. Nice. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Uh, live the simple life. Just do the things that allow you to say, I did enough. You know, yeah, live the simple life. Great. And one book that you'd recommend for listeners? Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. I've been telling everybody about it. Extreme Ownership. I like it. Uh, what's one piece of parting advice that you have for our listeners? Be bold in life. People think that being bold is something that, you know, could lead you into a lot of mistakes 
or errors, or you, you know, lead with your head or your chest. I say any mistake that you've made from boldness and audacity can be fixed with more audacity and boldness. So just be bold and audacious. Great. And where's the best place that our listeners can connect with you and reach out to you, find out what you're doing? Uh, LinkedIn and Instagram. And of course, they can check out our website, www.drona.ca. Perfect. It was a very great pleasure, Shashank. I do love our conversations that we have each, with each other. Hope you listeners got some something out of this where you could apply to your life. And remember, as we were speaking, we're not giving you the answers to your life. We're just trying to give you a new perspective. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was a little rusty, but I'll take it. That's fine. That's fine. Thank, it's it's thank you. you. Whoever that is, that's you. A hundred percent. It's me. And I'll make that mistake as many times until I get it smooth. <laughs> thank you so much, Shashank. Thank you, Jermaine, for having me. I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of revelations to myself. <laughs> Perfect. And that's all I want to hear. That's all I want to see because we're all looking to be a better version of ourselves. That's true, yeah. And thanks for getting me there. <laughs> you got there yourself, man. I'm just seeing think, how but, you got there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, it's for the first time I'm seeing it as well. Great. I haven't some of these things. I haven't considered them in awesome. years. So awesome. it was a good, good experience. Okay, great. Glad you enjoyed. Take care, Shashank. Take care, Jermaine. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of Breaking the Imposter. To stay up to date when episodes are released or to become a guest on the podcast, you can visit our website at www.breakingtheimposter.com. Follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so we can make sure the imposter stays broken. <laughs>